So we have been talking a week or two ago and this week and a couple more weeks ahead about finding the treasure of God's word as we start the new year. And, and two weeks ago, as we started this, last week we had Dave Taylor with us, you recall. But we looked at Psalm 1. Blessed is a person who doesn't walk in the way of the ungodly or sit in the way of sinners or stand in the seat of, of, the, of the scornful. But their delight is in the word of the Lord and in, this, and in that word, they meditate day and night. And they're like a tree planted by streams of water. And uh, we talked about this kind of tree, especially in a very dry, arid land like Israel. This tree planted by water would be uh, a great source, a blessing to everyone else because they're receiving all this nutrients that they should have, and they are then becoming what they should be, a flourishing tree. Now, this passage in James is almost like a New Testament follow-up to this. There's a lot of the same themes. There's the agricultural theme about a word planted within us. And there's the theme about putting off wickedness. And just like Psalm 1, not walking with the wicked. There's a part about blessedness. I almost wonder if James is kind of giving a New Testament riff on Psalm 1 in this regard. And if so, I love that idea because it will help us develop from a New Testament perspective on this side of the cross, what it means to live in the word and find the life that God wants us to have. So two weeks ago, this was my main thought, that we should dedicate ourselves to spending more time in the word in 2021. And this week, kind of building on that, kind of a reason for that, uh, the main idea I want to get across today from the book of James chapter 1 is that the right life comes from receiving the word in the right way. Let's pray as we dive into this. Father, thank you. Thank you that uh, 2,000 years ago, you inspired your, your servant James to write these words to us. Thank you, God, for preserving them for us for 2,000 years. These are not ancient words only. They are timeless words. They are timeless words of life to every generation. Would you open your word to us? Would you show us Christ? Would you speak to our hearts about what we need to hear, Lord? We are coming from different places this week. We are coming from different places in our thoughts, our worries, our, our needs this morning. Would you, through your spirit, take your word and apply it to each one? Thank you, Father. Amen. All right. So we are going to be in James chapter 1. And actually, we'll go ahead and read this. Why don't you stand if you would? I'm going to be reading this in the NIV. So let's stand. We're starting actually in verse 18. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that he might be, a, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom 
and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. So please feel free to have a seat. So I see that idea of this kind of life that God wants us to have. He talks about that this person will be blessed. And then he begins, he says, man's anger doesn't bring about the righteous life that God requires. So in James' minds, he's formulating about this, that there is a kind of life as believers that God desires for us. And there is a way to accomplish this, but it's not so much by doing, but by receiving. It's not so much an act of just trying harder and harder to live the Christian life. It is receiving the word of God in the right way. That's the heart of what he's telling us this morning. That's a, that's a great and wondrous thought. It takes so much pressure off us. But it's also a challenge then. All right, what does it mean to receive the word of God in this right way that produces this kind of life God desires, this blessed life? And that's where we're going to be focusing. So, first thing first. First, he is going to describe the attitude or the posture we should take. So, the attitude or the posture that we should take. We should choose to be a humble listener rather than a proud talker. We should be a humble listener rather than a proud talker. And, and we see this in verses 19 through 21. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And that word humble, I think, is the key to this whole paragraph. And I think that's what ties in this first part. You know, struck me as struck me as odd as I began studying this and reading this again. It's obvious his main focus is on us receiving the word of God, right? He talks about that in three different ways uh, throughout this whole passage. That's his main focus. So why does he start by telling us in regard to each other, we should be those who are not quick to talk, but quick to listen and slow to become angry? Because this is talking more about the interpersonal relationship, not our relationship with the word of God. And I think the answer here is this that there's a, an attitude towards life itself and in our, in ourselves within this life that is a prerequisite to receiving the word of God. And that attitude is a humility to know that we don't have it all figured out and we're not what we should be. And I think that's what's behind this. We should be eager to listen, slow to speak. Why? Because we're not convinced we have all the answers, but more importantly, I think the idea is, if I'm slow to speak, it means I'm recognizing it's not my job to fix your opinion or your life. I think that's kind of what's behind this. Because if my interactions with you, I'm primarily thinking of what's wrong with you. Maybe it's your political opinion. I'm going to argue with you on Facebook. Or, or maybe it's something you're doing, you know, family life. Or if my main thing that I'm after is to get you fixed, either thinking the right way or doing something different, then my main attitude cannot be what's wrong with me and what I need to fix. And that attitude of I'm okay, but others need to be fixed, that attitude will squash any ability to receive the word of God. I think that's what he's getting at. 
So we come to the word of God, and I, I, I get that, especially because he talks about humbly receiving this, recognizing that there are things in our life that have to change. And we're still always going to be in that state. Um, when my daughter was 14, she started taking tennis lessons because she wanted to get better. So we signed her up, and she had her first lesson. And did she, did, did she and her coach say, okay, well, now you're good to go. You know, you've had a lesson. No, it was do this. We'll have to do this repeatedly because we're training you to have different reactions on that tennis court. Steph Curry the other night, uh, he's a great basketball player for Golden State Warriors. Um, this week, I think it was Monday or Tuesday, he scored 63 points. And you know what he did the next day? He went to practice and he listened to his coach. Because even though he scored 63 points, which will probably be you know, higher than anyone else this season, he knows there are things he needs to grow on, things he needs to do differently. That should be our attitude. It doesn't matter if we've made progress in the Christian life. We're never going to be at the place where we don't need to receive God's correction, his instruction, his encouragement from the word. So the key here is humility. Receive the word. Um, and then he says, this is interesting, receive the word implanted within you. And uh, I'm, I'm looking at that again as well. All right. Humbly accept the word planted in you. Now, wait a second, James. If the word's already planted in me, then how am I supposed to receive this, right? It's already there. Well, I think he's kind of, he wants to use this metaphor of a seed. And sometimes, you know, metaphors, if you take, push them too far in every point, they don't work. So here's what I think he's after. The word that's implanted in us is the gospel, but it's the gospel also that's, that's shown to be what it is through this word here. And that's what he's going to move on to receiving the scriptures. That word is within us. If we are Christians, that word is planted in us. But there is a way that I can receive this or not receive this in a way that says I treasure and respond to it. Jesus used a similar analogy. He talked about, um, you know, the, the seed that was scattered, some on the, on the hard, compacted soil and, and some on the good soil. And only that seed was what produced the crop. And the seed wasn't different. It was the soil. I think that's what James has in mind, maybe, that that seed is there, is put within us, but what's the soil of our heart like? Are we humbling, seeking, God, help me, correct me? And it can be humbling to receive the word this way. I remember um, when Amy and I, well, when I was in seminary, and Amy and I were living uh, in Illinois, it's going to Trinity Seminary, and um, we did not have a lot of money, okay? Trinity was kind of expensive, and uh, I was waiting tables and, and in seminary, and Amy was, Amy was uh, teaching at a Christian school, then a preschool. And believe it or not, sometimes Christian preschools don't pay a lot of money, right? So we were perpetually poor. We were happy, but nonetheless, we had these friends in our church, and they were the same age as us, maybe one year older, and uh, Jack and Sally. And Jack became my best friend. Anyway, twice, twice. During those years that we were there, they gave us a car. So twice they upgraded their cars, and instead of trading those in and getting a few thousand dollars for them, they gave them to, to Dan and Amy. Now, I had to humble myself and receive that. Because in doing so, I'm admitting that this guy who's my peer 
is more successful than me in one area of life, at least, getting money. Um, and he's, he's able to bless me in a way that I need. But here's the thing. If I didn't humble myself to receive the gift, I wouldn't have had the gift. <laughs> I wouldn't have had the car. And it was a lot better than the car we were having. Um, that's kind of the idea here, that we have to admit that we need something else that someone else has. That we need to admit that. And uh, that same couple, they did, they did something else that kind of ties on to the second part about receiving the implanted word what, and responding to it that way. So during that time, uh, seminaries, we were kind of wrapping up there. Um, God blessed us with two babies in five months. And, and yes, there was an adoption in there. Okay, so I don't think we're weird or anything. But um, two babies in five months and then an, another baby two years after. Now, Amy's not going to be able to work, obviously, even if she wanted to with, with two little babies and another will come along later. Um, so she quit her job. And now all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, it looks like I'm going to need to withdraw from Trinity because, like I said, it's not cheap. So that quarter is, is about to begin. I go to the registrar's office. Uh, I'd already registered for classes, but I was going to tell them, okay, I need to withdraw. They haven't started yet, so it wasn't a problem. And uh, so I didn't have to pay for anything. And I get to the registrar's office, and uh, I'm going to need to withdraw this quarter. And, and the woman says, well, why? She says, well, I just can't afford it. And she looks at my account, and she says, you know what? It's already been paid for. And what had happened is that Jack and Sally, one, Sally in this case, had called that morning and paid that tuition on, her, on their credit card as an act of love. Because they knew, you know, we were very close with them. They knew I was going to withdraw. Now, it was a done deal. I couldn't repay it if I wanted to, right? It, it wasn't in my hands to, to give them back. But what I could do was respond to that gift. And, you know, of all the... All the, the terms I had in college and seminary, you know when I got the best grade? You know when I put myself most into it? It was that term right there. Why? Because I was given something I couldn't repay, but I should respond to it. And I think that's his idea, that we, we had this word given to us. It, it's implanted in us not by what we've done. It's by God's grace. But there's a way we can respond to that by eagerly saying, God, let that word bear fruit within me. All right, so that, that is our stance. That is how we approach the word. And unless we have that idea that we need something in our lives that we don't have, that God's willing to share with me through his word, we're never going to get anywhere, right? That's the beginning point, the stance. Now, let's talk then, second part here, about the practice. Or let's hear what James has to say about this. All right, so if our stance is to humbly receive the word, how do I do that? What does that look like? And, and he's going to give us three ways. And the first way is this. Look intently into the word. So he says, don't just listen to the word. And then he gives the analogy of the person who looks in a mirror. And, and then the contrast, he says, but in verse 25, but the man who looks intently. And by the way, he's using the word man, male here. Um, there is a different word he could have used to describe men and women together. He chooses the word male because I'm assuming he's thinking that only a man would look at his face in a mirror 
and then not change anything and go away? Um, I don't know. But he's using a very gendered word here, and maybe that's what it's about. Verse 25, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what they have seen or heard, but doing it, they'll be blessed. That word looks intently. Now that is a word that is not normally used for what you do when you look. So when he says in the verse right above that, like the man who looks in a mirror, he uses a different word for looking. This word is actually a word that's much more rare, and it has the idea of bending over or stooping down. When, when Mary went to the tomb, and she says he, she bent over to try to figure out what was happening here, that's the word used here. And what, it, what he's doing here, I think, is he's telling us to put effort into examination, to look intently into this, and not a, a passing glance. And that's something we've been talking about, right, with the meditation, just as we talked two weeks ago. And we use that analogy when we talked about Psalm 1 and meditating on the word of dipping a tea bag in water for a second and pulling it out or putting that tea bag in there, letting it interact with the water, flavor the water, make the water something it wasn't before. Only one of those produces tea. Heard another analogy. I'm going to steal this one from Nate, too. Um, because that's why he's here, to give me good illustrations to, to steal. But have you ever been out, and this has been a while for me, but you ever been out when you spent, like, most of a day in the cold? I remember when I was a youth pastor in Michigan, we did this a lot because we'd go on these winter retreats, and, you know, we'd be sledding or tubing or playing football in the snow. You come in after four or five hours, you know, your, your jeans, if you're wearing jeans, are all crusted with snow, and every part of your body is just frozen you feel it everywhere and you come in and maybe you know so like I said on some of these places there'd be a large lodge room and there'd be a big fireplace there so you come in and you look at that fireplace now what happens well well one thing you can do is you can walk in go to the fireplace ah, and then walk over to the other side of the room did you get warm did you warm up no of course not but what happens is you come in you look at the fireplace and you begin to let it warm your hands. And you begin to let it warm the rest of you. Even to, feels like you're warming your very bones. Finally take your coat off. And then when you go to the other side of the room, you're still warm. That's the idea of the word. Look intently. Not, not this glance where we're just kind of, you know, we're reading it because we're going to read the word. No. Think about that. Meditate upon that. And, and one thing I... I recommend reading a chapter or two and if you can do this every day that's great reading a chapter or two but then finding one part of that maybe one verse maybe a couple of verses maybe just one phrase or even a word and meditating upon that putting that in your mind again and again god help me to understand why would you use this word why don't you use this other word what do you what do you mean by this phrase what does it mean to me what should i do because of this that meditating on the word looking intently that's the first thing we do Second thing we do, we keep doing this. We keep doing this. So he says, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, continues to do this. So the idea is that we're not just doing this once in a while. This is a regular, consistent part of our life. How often do you look in the mirror, right? And that's the analogy he's using. So, you can uh, 
you can imagine someone, uh, let's just use Paul's humble here as an, as an example, because I like to pick on Paul here. Um, so imagine I come to Paul some, some Sunday, and he's, his, his appearance is just a hot mess. His hair's all messed up. He's got, you know, a, something on his, on his cheek, like, you know, some dirt or something. Uh, he's got broccoli in, in his teeth. His collar has, you know, marinara sauce on it. He's just a hot mess. And, and you come to say, Paul, have you looked in the mirror? And he says, well, yeah, I looked at myself in the mirror last week. Well, there's your problem, right? Well, that's happened between a week ago and today. The person who looks intently into the perfect law of liberty and continues to do this, they're the ones who find God's blessing. So, obviously, church here is one place we do this together. But I think he would say this is something that has to be a regular, more consistent part of our life. Without setting rules, you have to do it once a day or twice a day or for however many times. I think he's just encouraged us to say, is this something we look at the word intently and we do it consistently? Then one last thing. Obey. <laughs> obey the word. But the man who looks intently into the, into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. He will be blessed in what he does. So, obviously, the, the illustration here, again, someone, a man who goes up to a mirror, they see something wrong with their appearance, and then they leave without fixing it. Uh, or in this case, Paul, he goes to the mirror and says, oh, you're right. Man, my hair's messed up. I got broccoli in my teeth, my, my collar stained. And then he walks away without fixing any of those things. What good was the mirror? Well, exactly as good or as much worth as the word if we do not respond to it with obedience and trust, faithfulness, changing our thoughts or our actions or our words as God brings us to understand. So if we go out of here today and we've heard the word of God to us from James and we don't change anything about what we do in regards to the word, it will be like looking at a mirror, seeing things we should change, and walking away without changing them. That's what it would be like. I can't tell you exactly what God wants you to change in regards to this, but if we look at the word of God as we're doing now, he will show us, because that's what a mirror does. So <clears throat> this is then what God desires of us. That the, he gave us birth through the word of truth, he has planted this word within us. These are all acts of grace. And now our response is to humbly receive the word by looking intently into it, doing this again and again, and then responding to it. And he promises this. We'll find two things. We'll find liberty and we'll find blessing. Liberty. We're going to end with that here. The perfect law that gives liberty. That seems strange to us. Just these these two ideas, a law that gives liberty, a law that gives liberty. Usually we think of a law as constraining our liberties or our actions, right? What's he mean? Well, I think he means this. This scripture shows the very heart of God and the truth of God. And when we receive it in this way, it frees us. And I think the analogy he has in mind is going to be a slave because that was very, very common in the first century. It wasn't racially based. It was, it was just some, pe some people were enslaved in the Roman Empire, the first century. 
The estimates are about one-third of the population were classified as slaves. A slave could not do what they wanted to do. They had to do what they were told to do apart from what they wanted to do. And, and very often they were going to be separated from their families then as well. So the idea of freedom means that you break that chain, literal or figurative, you set the slave free so that they can be restored to what they should be and, and in the relationship with who they want to be in relationship to. And that is what brings us the ability then to not be this, but to be this. That person, I think he's hearkening back to Psalm 1, will be blessed. They will have God's approval. They will have God's help. And they will be growing into the flourishing, blessed person that God had always created them to be.